Turn with me, please, for a Bible reading to the Gospel according to St. Luke. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. We're going to read together from verse 39. Luke, chapter 1, cutting in in the reading at verse 39. Let's hear God's word. Luke chapter 1 and verse 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believeth, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For, behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent away. He hath sent empty away. He hath opened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Amen. Melinda reading here at verse 56. Let's please unite our hearts together in prayer as we seek the Lord. We are praying for God's revival right across our nation today. For old-fashioned biblical truth once again to prevail. And so do remember our church families scattered right abroad that the Lord will bless them and meet with them in a very special way. But we do remember today the congregation in Corrigari. The past week they, they buried our brother, the late Mr. Jim Bradford. Jim was the clerk of session in Corrigari, a very faithful man of God. I remember visiting him and his, his wife uh, many years ago and spending time with them and he was a regular visitor here during the summertime in his camper van. So remember the Bradford family and remember the congregation in Corrigari. I'd ask you to also to remember the Walkinshaw family. Mrs. Walkinshaw for many years uh, was the uh, matron in the Whitfield College of the Bible when it was at Lawrencetown House. And we remember all the family circle today as Mrs. Walkinshaw has been called out into the presence of the Lord. The, the funeral is on Thursday. 
and just pray for the family that they'll know the Lord's help and the Lord's grace. Heavenly Father, as we come before thee, we ask for hearts that are prepared to hear the word of the Lord. We just want today to hear what God the Lord would have to say to us. And we pray that God will instruct us, teach us, lead us and guide us. And that thou wilt draw us closer to thyself even the Sabbath day. We ask Lord for this land of ours. We see once again the devastation that apostasy has created within mainstream Protestantism. We see the confusion, our Father, as never before. And we cry to thee that God will move in our nation, that God will work, and that thou wilt restore the years that the locals have eaten away, and that God will revive us and meet with us. We ask for those, Lord, who stand in the battle today. Bless each and every brother that stands behind the pulpit and proclaims the word of God today. May the hand of the Lord abide and rest upon them for good. We ask for the help of the Holy Spirit and we pray that thou the spirit of power, of love and grace will be poured out upon us. We do remember today those that mourn. We remember the Walkinshaw family in Tandrigi. We thank thee for our sister Mrs. Walkinshaw. We thank thee for her years of labour as matron in the Whitfield College of the Bible. We thank thee for all her help to so many students over the years, for all her personal encouragements and for all her labours for the Saviour. And I pray that you'll bless the family today as the mourner passing and that thou wilt speak in to their lives. I pray today also that thou wilt remember the Bradford family in Corrigari. We thank thee for every remembrance of a faithful elder in the church. We thank thee for our brother Jim. We thank that he's with the Saviour today. And as his family are left to mourn his passing, I pray for his dear wife and his children that God's blessing and covenant grace will abide and rest upon him. Lord, teach us all today to number our days and to apply our hearts unto wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On this Reformation Sunday, <clears throat> I think it's important that we cover not just the great characters of the Protestant Reformation of a bygone generation, but that we once again focus our attention today and maybe up ahead on the great battles that they had to fight because those battles are still being fought today. I don't want you to think that the Reformation was away back then and it has no relevance for today because the Reformation is ongoing. It hasn't finished and it will not finish until the trumpet sounds and the Saviour returns once again. I think it is an indication of the apostasy that is within mainstream Protestantism and of course uh, the rank apostasy and rebellion that is within the Roman Catholic Church that, Rome, mo that Rome's most prominent person today is Mary and that apostate Protestantism would acquiesce with this idolatry of the Church of Rome such is the emphasis laid upon this woman that she is made to be 
the Queen of Heaven and she is actually called the Mother of God. And in Catholicism, through Mary, uh, Roman Catholics are taught grace and favour flows from God. And of course we, we realise today that this is a total error and a total derogation of what the word of God has to teach us. This whole superstructure of Mariolatry upon which the papacy is based and has been for centuries has led many to rename the Roman church as the Marian church. Because Rome's idolatrous worship of Mary is evidenced in, her, in the writings of her great theologians, in her catechisms and in her creeds. One of her most authoritative authors is Cardinal Alphonsus de Liguri. And he wrote a book, a very important book many years ago, uh, the, the Glories of Mary. I remember, I came down past it a few weeks ago, the Antrim Road, uh, being at, at a conference there, outside of course, I wasn't inside it, I, that was organised by the Methodist Church and the Roman Church extolling the virtues of Mary. And of course this was one of the men that they were studying, Liguri. And in summary, what he said, he, he, he wrote about the glories of Mary. And you don't need to go through the chapter headings of his book to realise that this is Rome's cult worship of Mary. And he speaks about her attributes, her abilities, her titles, her functions. And these are all attributes which are attributed to Mary, which belong to Christ and to God alone. And the chapter heading includes such titles as Mary our life, our sweetness. Mary our hope. Mary our help. Mary our advocate. Mary our guardian. Mary our salvation. And this so-called Saint Alphonsus, he wrote the following, Mary is called the gate of heaven because no one can enter that blessed kingdom without passing through her. I want you to think about that just for a little moment. No one can enter into heaven through the gate of heaven without passing through Mary. The way of salvation is open to none otherwise than through Mary. Now that is not some misinterpretation that Ian Harris has placed upon the teaching of Rome. That is a quote direct from one of the so-called great masters of Rome. The Marian worship of the Roman church, of course, was refused and rejected by the Protestant reformers and exposed for what it is because it's nothing else, brethren and sisters, than idolatry. Roman idolatry. We call it Mary Olatry. That's the idolatrous worship of Mary that is given to God alone. And all of this, we have to say, is in total contrast to the lowly, humble life of Mary as it is revealed in the word of God. As, as Protestant reformers, let me say something about Mary. We honour Mary. We honour her. And we worship with her the Son of God. But we do not worship her. And nor do we believe that the Bible teaches anywhere that we can worship God through her. And whilst we honour 
the role that God gave to her as the earthly mother of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, we totally, outrightly repudiate and reject the idolatrous Marian worship that goes on within Romanism. So on this Reformation Sunday, because this is truth, Truth not only has to be stated positively, but truth has to be defended. And there are many times in which we have to defend the truth in order to maintain the truth. And in order to defend the truth and maintain the truth, we have to expose error and those that stand in error to the truth of the word of God. The Mary which Rome presents is fiction. It is a fictional character. It has no resemblance whatsoever to the Mary of the Bible. The one who was not only Christ's earthly mother, but also the loving wife of Joseph and the mother of her other children. So let's come firstly today to what we will call the origins of Rome's teaching on Mary. The origins of Rome's teaching on Mary. Now again I'll reiterate it. You can search from Genesis right through to Revelation and you will not find one iota of support in the word of God for this Marian cult that is within the Roman church. The New Testament, in fact, has very little to say about Mary. She bows out of the picture completely in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. And she's never mentioned again in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Rome teaches that none can go into the kingdom of God except they pass through Mary. And yet from Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, she's never mentioned again. The whole edifice of Rome's teaching on Mary, it has no biblical foundation whatsoever. So then where do we trace the origins of Mariolatry? Where do we get all of this teaching from that has been superimposed upon the Roman church. Well, with so much else, I believe we have to go back to Babylon and we have to go back to its pagan practices of worship. The ancient Babylonians were the descendants of Nimrod. We'll not take time to go there, but you can read about Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. And they represented their deity, their God, as an eternal father, the spirit of God incarnate in a human mother and a divine son. That's very important. The Babylonians, they were renowned for the worship of a goddess mother and her son. And this has been depicted in many cuttings and carvings of the time as an infant child in the mother's arms. So from Babylon, the worship of the mother and the child spread to the ends of the earth. Remember, Babylon was the one superpower, the world superpower of its day. Uh, and it's known in different countries under various guises. The original mother goddess whom the Babylonians worshipped was known as Semiramis. And it was from her son that she derived uh, her claims to glory and deification. Now all of that sounds familiar, doesn't it? In the word of God, the child is referred to in the book of Ezekiel as Tammuz. He was lamented over and he was worshipped as a mediator. 
We read in Ezekiel chapter 8, the Jewish women in their idolatry, they wept over this Babylonian God. But they didn't weep for the Lord. They didn't weep for Jehovah. They had been so influenced by the culture of their day, they actually believed and worshipped the culture of their day. And is that not so much like their professing nominal church in our land today? They have swallowed they have swallowed what is the professing nominal beliefs of the land. We read in Ezekiel 8.14 Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house which was toward the north and behold there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Isn't that horrendous? History reveals that this goddess mother had eclipsed the sun for attention she was exalted as the queen of heaven Jeremiah another prophet who had to deal with the apostasy of Israel and how the Babylonian pagan religion had taken the captive the hearts and minds of the Israelites he pronounced God's judgment upon this false queen of heaven and her worshippers we read in Jeremiah chapter 44 as for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. Verse 17. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven. Here are the Israelites. And they have rejected the word of Jeremiah. And they said instead, we are going to worship the queen of heaven. And we're going to pray to her. So such worship of course brought with it the judgment of God as it always does. We read in chapter 44, 26, 27 of the book of Jeremiah that Jeremiah went and said to them Therefore hear ye the word of the Lord all Judah that dwell in the land of Egypt behold I have sworn by my great name saith the Lord that my name shall be no more named in the mouth of any man in Judah in all of the land of Egypt saying the Lord God liveth behold I will watch over them for evil and not for good and all the men of Judah that are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by the famine until there be an end of them the Babylonians erected a satanic counterfeit amongst the remnant that was left in Israel after the captivity and this was to be worshipped in the place of God and of course this was a counterfeit that many of the Israelites embraced and even rejoiced in. We've been reading of it. They rejoiced in them. In the first centuries of the Christian church, its worship was free from Mariolatry. But in AD 311, something very significant happened. The Roman Emperor Constantine decreed that Christianity was to become the preferred religion. So what happened? Did the land, did the empire experience a revival of old-fashioned biblical truth? Sadly, no. Uh, thousands of unconverted pagans instead flooded into the uh, visible professing church because now they could gain political advantage, now they could gain economic advantage. And where you always have establishment, established religion, that's what always happens. They had not renounced their pagan ways they held on to the worship of the Babylonian goddess. 
They simply instead transferred their devotion of this pagan goddess to Mary. And this took hold and it continued to expand. And we read in 610 AD that the Pope, who was then uh, in place, Boniface, obtained leave from the Roman Emperor Procus to convert the Pantheon in Rome into a Christian church. And so they had a great festival on May the 13th because May, of course, is the month of Mary. And that is why there are so many uh, novenas and that's why there's so many festivals given to Mary in the month of May. So this temple was erected by Agrippa to Juniper uh, and to Mars, but it was consecrated by the Pope to the Virgin Mary. So you see, within just a few short period of time, a few short centuries, all of the worship that was given to this pagan goddess was now given to Mary. So this is the first instance at Rome of the transformation of a pagan temple into a place of worship. And it was very significant because theologians trace back the whole cult of Marian worship in the Roman church to this period of time. So the origin of Rome's teachings, they're suspect. I know there will be many who will object to what I have just said. And of course they, they would cry foul at what I have just said. But the old pagan Babylonian teaching of this goddess with the child, brethren and sisters, it's now dressed up in purple and the scarlet robes of the Vatican and it has been converted into Marian worship. You know, unless we can prove something from the word of God, it's not worth the paper that it's written on. And that is why in Christian worship, we ought not to have anything in Christian worship that we cannot prove from the Bible. If it's not in the book, it ought not to be in the church. So Marian worship finds no support, no credence in the word of God. So we can say with assurance today that not only are its origins steeped in pagan practices and, and taken from ancient Babylon, but here in 2022 we still reject it and renounce it as something that is foreign to the word of the living God. Secondly, we'll go a wee bit further and we'll consider the opposition of the word of God to the Mariolatry of the Church of Rome. Rome has based her teaching on a very false and faulty premise that Mary was above all women. Is that what the Bible says? That Mary was above all women? I think it's very plainly the opposite of what the Bible says. And it's totally incompatible with the teaching of scriptures. Let's go back again to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, our main reading. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Let's go back to verse 28. The angel came in unto her, that's Mary, and said, Hail, thou that art highly favoured. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Not significant. I, I don't see how anyone can read that with an open mind and see anything other than what the words actually state. Mary was not blessed above women. Mary was blessed among women. She was blessed among women. 
Blessed art thou among women, verse 42 again, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Mary, far from being above all other women, she was put on a par with all of the descendants of Adam's race. She was born into this world, what? She was born a poor, helpless sinner in need of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. She does not be excluded from Romans 3 and 23, where all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Mary is there in Romans 3 and 23. And this is where the Bible finds all of us. Every Roman Catholic, every Protestant, every son and daughter of Adam's lost and ruined race, it doesn't matter what affiliation or what world religion they are under today, this is where God finds every one of us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That included Mary. In direct opposition to the word of God, Rome puts Mary in the place of Christ. Uh, and she does this in the following manner. She does it because she teaches that Mary can bestow grace upon sinners. Mary, a woman amongst women, can bestow grace upon sinners. Bishop Liguri states in his book, The Glories of Mary, Mary in obtaining grace for sinners by her intercession thus restores them to life. He fails and is lost who has not recourse to Mary. He fails and is lost. Who doesn't pray to Mary? Every one of us today, according to Rome, we're all lost. Because we don't pray to God thy Mary. It is a travesty of truth, brethren and sisters. Because Mary, instead of giving out grace, was in need of grace. Instead of being a saviour to others... Mary needed a saviour for her own soul and for her own personal needs before Almighty God. If you look at Luke 1 verse 46, 47, this was Mary's great song. My soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my saviour. Oh, that every dear Roman Catholic neighbour and friend could understand the simple truth that's in these words. Mary cannot bestow grace upon anybody because Mary stood in need of grace. And there's grace alone from none other than God through the great mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no creed, there's no church, there's no clergyman who will ever stand in as a substitute for Christ. And that's the great message of of the reformers of years gone by. It's Christ and Christ alone. And that's all a sinner needs to get to heaven. I'm glad week by week in this pulpit and during the week to the boys and girls and others who gather in, who do we present? Christ and Christ alone. There's none other. Roman opposition to the Bible teaches us that the prayers of Mary are necessary. In other words, that Mary is praying for us. In the Roman Catholic Catechism, in question 158, it asks, should we ask the angels and saints to pray for us? It goes, the answer, we should ask the angels and saints to pray for us because they are our friends and brethren and because their prayers have power with God. Well, there's nowhere in the Bible where it teaches 
that there are saints <coughs> who have died who can pray for us or anyone else. Question 160, it says, What is the chief prayer to the Blessed Virgin which the Church uses? The answer goes, The chief prayer to the Blessed Virgin which the Church uses is the Hail Mary. The Hail Mary is what Roman Catholics use when they say the Rosary. And then question 161, it gives us the Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, <coughs> and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I, I think of many Roman Catholic people across the land today who will go over their rosary. I do not make fun of their praying or despise their praying one iota. But let me say again today, praying to God through Mary, their words go no louder than the sound of their voice. No higher than the sound of their voice. Rome would claim, of course, they do not worship Mary, but they merely, merely venerate her. But as their words of their, their, their prayer go, this, this hail Mary, this is more than just mere regard. If language means anything, this is language that ought to be addressed to who? To God. To God alone. Nowhere is it suggested in the Bible that we venerate Mary, that we hold her above all others, that we lift her above others. There's nowhere in the Bible, in the Word of God, that that is taught to us. I think this is vividly illustrated, lovely, for us in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Remember the visit of the wise men to Christ. <coughs> and they came in, and wouldn't this have been an apt time to worship Mary? She was the mother. The child was there. But that's not what happened. The wise men came in and the Bible tells us in verse 11 they worshipped him. Mary was there but they didn't worship her. They worshipped him. And wise men still worship him. And nobody else. You know it's an impossibility that the prayers of millions of Roman Catholic people around the world can be heard by Mary. In order for that to be possible, even if it were permissible, then Mary would have to be deified. She would have to become God. And millions of petitions are offered every day and they're never heard. And neither can they be by Mary in her glorified state. In opposition to this Maryolatry, which Rome gives to Mary, this is something that she never sought while she was on earth. Mary never sought it. She never sought the adoration which Romanists give to her. The very opposite is true. Her only recorded words are in John 2 and verse 5. And what did she say to the servants? Remember at the wedding of Cana in Galilee. What did she say to him? Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. The only publicly recorded words on what, what's the essence of them. Whatever Jesus says, do it. Don't do what I say, do what Jesus has said. Do what he says. At no time did she ever give prominence to herself. She always gave prominence to her son. True Christians still do that today. 
We don't give prominence to ourselves. We give prominence to the Son of God, our blessed Saviour. In opposition to the Bible, Rome also teaches the perpetual virginity of Mary. Of course, this is again in clear contradiction to the teaching of the Word of God. Because Rome teaches that Mary was a virgin for all of her life, making Jesus her only son. This would be a, a, a contradiction of the whole concept of marriage itself. In other words, that Joseph never knew Mary. That they never had any other children. That's not what the Bible teaches. In Matthew chapter 1, 24, 25, we read that Joseph took unto him his wife, that is Mary, and he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. He knew her not until after the birth. And after the birth of Jesus, the Bible teaches us that Mary and Joseph, they lived as an ordinary couple. They were an ordinary married couple. It would not have been a scriptural marriage if that marriage had not been properly uh, consummated. And the Bible teaches that they had other children. Mary and Joseph had other children. We, we read in Matthew chapter 13, 55, that they said, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Josie and, and Simon and Judas and his sisters? He had not only brothers, but he had sisters. Psalm 69 verse 8 throws some interesting light upon all of this. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. His mother had children. Mary is the earthly mother of the Lord Jesus Christ had other children, which in essence would have been half-brothers according to the flesh to the Saviour. Well, why does Rome, why does Rome insist then on such a lie? Partly, I believe, to justify the so-called celibacy of her priests and her nuns. That is partly the reason why. But brethren and sisters, it's a lie. And it's a lie without any justification whatsoever. Mary and Joseph were a happy, happily married couple. They were the very example of what Christian marriage ought to be like. And I would commend that you study the home of Mary and Joseph because it was a home where Christ was raised. And where divine influences were known as in none other home. What a home was the home of Mary and Joseph at Bethlehem and at Nazareth. What a home it was. We honour Mary today. But she was one amongst women. And with her we give due honour and praise and reverence to her son the Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only Saviour of mankind. I don't want to continue because <clears throat> I have as much again to go, but I'll come back to it uh, next Sabbath day. We have, to, we have this to finish because I want to talk to you about how, how is this teaching of Rome outworked in society today? What's the relevance 
of all of this in society today. How even has it influenced Protestantism, apostate Protestantism today? Because it has. And I would encourage you to come back and join uh, with us next Sabbath day as we conclude uh, this special study on...